everyone, welcome to episode 117 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, ArenaNet. Oh boy. Two Point Hospital gets a release date. Time for your biannual re-download of No Man's Sky. Labo contest winners, wild as hell. And in our book club this week, we talk about a game that drove Mark and Jack mad in their youth trying to outdo each other. It's Trials HD. Let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast, episode 117 from linktothecast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, fuck you Spotify. I am your party host, Dave Ryan, returning after two weeks away, such is life, Uh, and on the line is my faithful co-host, as always, the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you, my friend? How does this evening find you? It's uh, it's the, the longest break we've had, kind of not around the Christmas period. Since we got our act together. Uh, since we got our act together. But you know what? It was the World Cup, and it was a great World Cup, and I don't feel yeah. bad about it. Yeah, one week I was busy, and then the other week uh, there was an England game, and <laughs> and and I was busy the other day that we... We usually have, like, a fail-safe day or two during the week. Yeah. Um, But that just wasn't happening. Um, and, you and, know... And, and, as, and because it was an England game, like, Jack wasn't around either, obviously. Yeah, yeah, so... But, hey, you know, it was fun watching us fucking lose to Croatia. Um, but, anyway, mm. moving on. Yeah, we'll have a, a full World Cup wrap-up pod coming. Uh, it'll either be up by the time you're listening to this, or it will be the day after, two days after. Jack is currently in post-production on it now. Um, sadly, you weren't on it. No, we I was not. We couldn't I... make that work. That was one last bit of scheduling that yeah. we had to but, deal uh, with. I'm, I'm uh, looking forward but... to listening to that. Overall, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Oh, it was a wonderful World Cup. I, yeah. The, the, the thing that uh, I've uh, kind of really um, definitely gravitated towards that people have been saying is that, like, the finals itself, France and Croatia, was a real kind of, uh, kind of iconoclasm or a real kind of example of, of the whole World Cup uh, as a whole. A, a, a microcosm. A microcosm, yes, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, you know, there was VAR, there was own goals, uh, there was Mbappe, there was, uh, you know, Luka Modric trying to just do something. Um, uh, just, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed that specific game. And, the, you know, the finals, the, the tournament as a whole uh, was, was just excellent. You know, we kind of mm. saw the transition period uh, kind of moving out of the Ronaldo and Messi era and moving into, you know, really what we can definitely say at the moment is the Mbappe era. era. Um, Neymar was a clown show and I enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, um, I was in Belgium a couple of weekends ago yeah during the the belgium brazil game so being a part of that experience um and you know belgium going through against brazil uh, that was just a really wonderful uh experience to be a part of and yeah it, i i very much enjoyed it i was uh disappointed that i couldn't be a part of the show but i, I look forward to listening to you and jack uh give the full rundown uh yeah while you were in belgium speaking of co-hosts of the program jack was over here 
Um, and, and we went to we had a good weekend. We went to a wrestling show. We ate a whole a whole mess of food. Just just an embarrassment of food. Uh, it must be said. We went to Token, uh, which we've we've shouted out on the show a couple of times. Good time. Um, <clears throat> oh man, they have a revised menu now. Um, I saw something about this not too long ago. We're trying out some stuff now. They did thankfully have um, the fries that Jack was saying was possibly the lead reason he came back to Dublin. Uh, which was the the fries with the bacon jam, um, ah, yes. But uh, I was very intrigued by what Barry and Zig got, friends of the show, um, and that was they got was it um, burnt ends pulled pork uh, par- <laughs> parmesan fries. Oh my word! It looked like the they got it as a side, as if it was normal fries with their meal. But by God, by itself, it was a whole meal uh, by the looks of it. Like it came in a giant kind of tub. It was um, outrageous. Um, but yeah, very much enjoy any visits there. Had a great time at a, an OTT show up in the Tivoli. Uh, maybe one of the last Tivoli shows there ever will be because that place is getting uh, knocked down. The whole area is being redeveloped next year. So that might be the last we see of it this year. Um, they're hoping to get one or two more shows in before it gets knocked down. Um, but boy, that that place, uh, you, you've been there a couple of times. Like I the haven't. atmosphere in the Tivoli is very like, when we were growing up, we'd hear things about like, obviously the ECW arena. Uh, we'd hear things about like um, Reseda for PWG and, you know, like, the electric ballroom for Progress, which obviously both of us have been to as well. The yeah. Turban and Hala for WXW and um when we were growing up as teenagers these special locations they seemed like real pilgrimages and and kind of like you'd be very envious of the people who are just able to just freely travel to these places on the regular and um on a smaller scale obviously but the tivoli was one of those kind of special atmospheres um i've been going there for about about three years now and it really was like even as a a relative outsider to the product as as you were mark um a raucous night was always had there oh yeah i i always had a great time uh every every time i've been to the the tivoli um helped on by uh, always having you know very enjoyable shows uh Mm. i remember the the ricochet will osprey match in particular was (laughs) just ricochet did a plancha over us just fucking mad but yeah a really really cool um really cool vibe um i could care less for certain members of the audience but you know we mm, uh, that's you know been discussed before as with um, all audiences yeah um but you know like you've seen with uh with Reseda, for example with pwg you know they've had to move on to another building and uh you had not specifically on the same circumstances, but you saw with um, progress where they were originally in the garage, they moved up to to the electric ballroom, um, and you know it's just it's it's all part of possibly wasn't what they intended to have to have this building gone, but you know this can also work as a positive uh, for um, OTT to look at other venues, look at bigger venues they can do. Obviously they've been doing the national stadium shows, which are about 2000 people, but, uh, the Tivoli is what, about 300, I'd say. Uh, about uh, three to five, somewhere in that sort yeah, of, but like it, depending on how much people you cram in standing yeah, room. But it, but it's, it is an inconvenient building or a layout of a building. If you're mm. 
anywhere near the back standing. So, you know, this gives them a chance to find somewhere. And, you know, that's part of the, the charm and adds to the environment. That if they can find somewhere that kind of caters to all and everyone can have a good view of, of the show, um, that can only work as a benefit. I haven't been to, what, what are the um, shows they have been doing out of the Tivoli and not the National Stadium? I can't remember. Uh, so they, they, they do their Contenders show, which is a bunch of like teenage trainees um, wrestling the more experienced guys or a few imports. Um, they do those monthly at the Ringside Club, which is the little kind of um, small social club on the side of the National Stadium. Only fits about 250 to 300 people. It's quite snug, smaller than the Tivoli for sure. Um, but they're, they're kind of all ages shows. There's a hot bar where you can get goujons and chips at it. But also some of the best matches they've ever had are there um, as well. And they're doing a contender show next month uh, where they're doing uh, Scotty Davis, who is uh, just barely 18 years of age, is already outrageously good. And he's going to wrestle one Matthew Riddle. Uh, which I am very much looking forward to. Uh, the other, the other kind of non-Tivoli, non-National Stadium place they've run is the they call it the Arena on the Shore Road in Dublin, which is uh, basically an indoor hall uh, attached to a GAA club. Um, it definitely seats comfortably a couple of hundred more than the Tivoli does, but because it's uh, near such good public transport links. Um, and because it is city center effectively and because they run boxing and MMA there as well, apparently it's quite an expensive venue to run. So, you know, they're they're kind of weighing up whether the juice is worth a squeeze staying there on that one, because um, I think every show would have to be a super show to kind of break even yeah. uh, on that place because of how big it is and how expensive it is. But uh, yeah, interesting times ahead, I think, for the local grapple promotion. Um, shall we talk about some video games, my friend? Well, the only other thing I'll say as well, uh, oh, yes. the whole reason I went to Belgium is I saw a podca- uh, podcast. I saw Pearl Jam. And Pearl I Jam think it's not a podcast. I saw a podcast. Uh, <laughs> I saw Pearl Jam, and Pearl Jam are very good live. Uh, there's my ah, yes. take of the day. And, and uh, Mr. Jack White as and well. And your boy Jack White, who is just... he. Here's the thing. So I saw... Have you ever listened to Jack Johnson before? Yes. He is the most vanilla motherfucker I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack White, Jack White is hand, not that. Is, <laughs> maybe skin tone wise, yes. But other than that, uh, like, and, and hearing White Stripe songs done as an actual full arrangement with bass and a, a drummer. And I love Meg White for what she is. But, you know, having a drummer who can do significantly more. Uh, just, yeah, definitely kind of brought the songs to life. Sank like um, Icky Thump. Uh, in a way that I'd never really kind of heard before. And uh, did he yeah. did he have the the all male band, all female band, or the half and half? Uh, he had a female drummer, and then everyone else was male. Ah, uh, yeah, because during his his first solo tour, I think he was because you know the way he doesn't play with a set list; he just plays whatever song comes into the top of his head <laughs> generally. Um, which like just as somebody who likes to be organized before things gives me a panic attack just thinking about it. But as well as that, in between dates, he was changing bands. And, like, as he was going along, if he'd find a cool session musician, he was getting them to tag along with the band and play a role in it. Like, oh, hey, you could play the double bass or something like that. Yeah. We'll figure out something for you to it, do. It seems, it seems like uh, Jack White. Um, yeah, one he's of one of these, though. Like, as much as Pearl Jammer are a great uh, bucket list rock band and, and everybody says, like, a great live experience, I haven't had the privilege myself yet. Uh, Jack is one of these guys. Like, he's a real throwback to, the like, the mercurial... Um, kind of like rock figures of, of generations past like there's no one like 
not try. I, obviously, I have biases in the in this because I, I love Jack White, but there is no one quite like him. Oh no, he's a full on enigma. Like, yeah, th- th- there's no denying that. Um, and you know, I, I, he was kind of like a, a one of those bucket list bands or artists that I hadn't actually really ever considered considered as being a, a bucket list artist or band. Um, Oh, and I saw Stone Sour, who, uh, God bless, I like Corey Taylor, and I actually do like Slipknot. Stone Sour are terrible. Uh, Just just the fucking worst songs uh, you could possibly imagine. And we met a really nice Irish couple who were really looking forward to seeing Stone Sour. And I met a fucking Irish man who was actually rooting on England. So, you know, I was... He was like, just just give him a chance. You know, I really think you'll like it. And I don't know whether he was trying to use the England thing as some sort of emotional blackmail, but the, the, it finished. Then he looks around at me and he's like, so what do you think? And I was like, probably not going to listen to him on Spotify. Um, you know, anyway. Yeah. yeah. But Belgium's yeah. nice. Leuven's a very cool city. Shame I didn't get Good to go to Brussels. And they, did, the- and they did Raspberry like Rosé Hogarden, which is just fucking delightful. You actually sent me on a when you when you told me about that you sent me on a Wikipedia hold to figure out the entire range of Hoogarden beers and <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I I'm at, myself and Emma are strongly considering going over for a weekend uh, to go to the brewery to take a brewery oh, tour. Oh man! Because it's actually a, a village, Hoogarden. What? <laughs> yeah, and it's near. I can't remember. It's near some city in Belgium. Like it's about an hour on a on a train away. Um, so we, we're we're considering it. We we did uh, go past on the train the the Stella Artois building, but I don't mm. like Stella Artois. So no, no. Uh, although I think the first time we met, that's what I was drunk on. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is the only thing that's on tap in this pub that I don't absolutely hate. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, video games. All right, go on. In. Playing this week. Hey, check it out! I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy Two. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, how goes the journey in Hollow Knight? I think we talked about this a little before, did we? Uh, yeah, we. I, I gave kind of a, a, a pretty full rundown of what I thought of Hollow Knight, but I've now finished it um, on about, oh, I'd say about 75% completion, I think, the last time I, I checked. Um, a lot of my feelings and thoughts are still quite similar uh, I do think that uh, and actually uh, Patrick Klepik has a really uh, cool article about a specific area in the game called Deep Nest uh, and I you know very much heart his uh, sentiments and, and feelings about what he wrote in that article um, it's still very much a game that to get lost in and to explore and the way that it makes you explore each part of the world by not directly giving you the map. You have to find the person who makes the maps. And they, even then afterwards, you can only fill in the rest of the map once you explore and then go back to a bench to sit down and draw it out. I do really like that. That's one of the things about Hollow Knight that I, I really enjoy because it just it forces you to get lost in the world. You know, It doesn't hold your hand in that regards. Uh, and certainly in some of the areas like Deep Nest where it gets very, very claustrophobic, and very dark um and it doesn't you know rely on the jump scares but there is just that feeling you know it's an area with creepy crawly and the game is is designed around insects and creepy crawlies but you know it, it goes into fucking double time in that specific area uh it, you, you kind of you you take like 
slight taps, or you, you slightly tap the controller stick to go left or right, and you, you're constantly slashing your uh, weapon to just make sure nothing's going to jump out at you. So that for the entire game, um, uh, you know, because I know that when we last spoke about it, uh, I'm not sure if I had you completely sold on it, because uh, I know there were some drawbacks I had, which I do still have. Mm. Um, but I do think that now, having got to the end, um, the game as a whole to, to explore and the the freedom, and I didn't really realize this at the time, but the freedom that the game gives you in like how you want to explore certain areas, uh, it's not, other than some certain parts, it really doesn't have uh, any kind of like fixed path that you have to take. Uh, and that's really cool. And it doesn't, because the problem you can have with that kind of thing is that it means that sometimes in some games, like difficulty uh, is kind of all over the place because, or it's completely even because it's very hard to make a progression of difficulty uh, in a, a style of game that doesn't have a fixed path. That can be very difficult to do. And I think that Hollow Knight actually does a, a relatively decent balance of that. Um, and with that said, you know, I definitely felt towards the end the difficulty did spike at the right times with some of the bosses. Um, although I think I left a couple of bosses like right towards the end and without even realizing it, but that's just the, the way that I played the game. Um, I do still think that the kind of core mechanics and the core combat is still where I, I find the, the game lacking and limited. Um, um, but if you can look past that, uh, it is a game that just it, it nails the the vibe and the aesthetic that it goes for um and you know i've had i don't have a lot of games where i listen to like with headphones on it's one of those games that i very much enjoy doing it you know the, the soundtrack complements it uh, so perfectly well um the the characters in the world uh, they kind of talk in that sort of midna from twilight princess gobbledygook sort of way and and it you know, again, fits the the world. Um, so I do, I do like Hollow Knight. I, I think it actually, um, even with the, the big the big drawback being that the the mechanic could have been uh, the mechanics, the combat could have been explored a lot more. Because um, certainly, like the team clearly have a, a good idea of what they're doing, and clearly, uh, you know very clever um when it comes to game design uh i just i feel that that that's the one thing um that kind of stops me from saying that you know this is like an all-timer um and you know the game was released last year so it limits me in what i can kind of do when it comes to the end of the year but you know i know that i wouldn't be able to say yep definitely game of the year material um mm -hmm. could be a top 10 but i you know if i was looking at say top three i, I don't think it would be there but uh yeah i i like it i do like it a lot i have been playing a little game called captain toad treasure tracker now available on nintendo switch oh, my friend now okay first question yes uh with the you know numerous wii u to switch type games of this nature is it uh, a port is it a, a like an extension of what came before what is so what is this version for the most part it seems like now I haven't gotten super deep into the game to see how much extra there is, if there is extra on it. But one thing I can tell you that's different between the um, the, the Wii U version and the Switch version. Now, I didn't own the Wii U version, so maybe there are some differences. Oh, I haven't I did noticed. Have that version. 
Yeah, you see, I only played a little bit of the Wii U version, um, but never actually owned it. Uh, I was kind of waiting for it to come down in price, and then everybody got rid of their Wii U's. <laughs> uh, Nintendo games yeah. coming down in price. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, but this one came out, it's not full price, and I was like, hey, fuck, I'll take a punt on this, uh, because I everything about the Captain Toad stuff I really enjoy. The one thing that's definitely different is that if you happen to have or know somebody like me, Mark, in your case, who does have any sort of Mario Odyssey related amiibo, if you tap that amiibo to the Switch, you unlock a hatful of Super Mario Odyssey levels in Captain Toad. What? So there, there's a new Donk City Oh my map. god. There's uh, like there's pretty much like the the major levels you think of for Mario Odyssey. Each one of them has a uh, a Captain Toad, and they are they are pretty fucking difficult. Um, and it's under the bonus menu, which makes me think that there are going to be themed DLC packs coming out for it in the future, which I am more than on board with. I mean, it's the perfect kind of game to do that sort of thing with. Yeah, so for people who don't know, like it's described often as the anti-platformer because it has every bit of the aesthetic of a Mario-style platformer you would think would be in one, except for the fact that you don't do any platforming. Um, it's more of a puzzle game where you use kind of like the rotation of the camera and and kind of maneuvering Toad who, who can't jump uh, around the map to try and collect... Um, the, the star at the end and if at all possible the three crystals placed throughout and sometimes there are different bonuses like every level not only has your challenge to get to the end not only your challenge to get the three crystals but on top of that there will be like a special challenge that will only be revealed to you after finishing the level um, it could be to vanquish all enemies on the map which is usually done by uh, uprooting a turnip and tossing it at the enemy um, it could be the one that I've had real, um, there's an early level where your bonus objective is to try and get from one end to the other without being spotted once by a shy guy. And that is real fucking difficult. Um, so there's those bonus objectives. And then if you get the crystals, you get to the end and complete the bonus objective, it unlocks a further uh, objective, which is... Um, a hide-and-seek game where you attempt to find in every level a pixelated toad, uh, which isn't there when you do the level the first run-through. It's only after you complete the other objectives and unlocked pixelated toad mode that you press, I think it's right trigger, to go into the map again, and you rotate around. Sometimes you can find it without actually having to move toad. You can just find the, the pixelated toad, somewhere in the map and then you either tap on the screen if it's in mobile mode or you point your pro controller at, or your uh, Joy-Con at the screen using motion controls to go here he is and hit the right trigger again and you get your bonus there. Um, is all that all that's from the vanilla version is it? As uh, well? I mean it's been a fair few years but yeah that all sounds okay. pretty much. I can't imagine they would have fucked around with, with the formula too much. No, no. Um, I had suspected that the Mario Odyssey stuff was the only real new stuff in it, but yeah, it's it's super bright and breezy. It's fun. Um, Toad is awesome. Um, the designs of the levels are really clever. Uh, you wouldn't think with the like the levels are tiny, and you wouldn't think, uh, except with someone like Nintendo, you wouldn't think that you could find so much ingenuity in tiny spaces. But every level is different. Every level has its own challenges and aesthetic and 
and, and everything like that. And it's just, it's a load of fun. It's a real cool, uh, pick it up for 15, 20 minutes or half an hour, play it, feel accomplished because you got through a couple of puzzles, put it down again game. But because the levels are so diverse, it also rewards the longer player. Like if you want to sit down for a couple of hours, there's plenty of challenge in it um, to keep going. It, it really is, uh, no matter what way you want to play it, mobile or on the TV, or whether you want to play it in short bursts or long, it's a really, like, it's a really, really good game. Um, does that kind of track with what you had thought of the original version? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I adored the the mini games in uh, Mario 3D World. I think was what yeah. I don't remember it being. In. Yeah, um, and I, you know, adored the uh, the standalone game on the Wii U. Just you know, it has that Mario Nintendo uh, sheen and sleekness, and looks gorgeous, and just has a a warm, cuddly, fuzzy feeling to it. Uh, just, you know, Toad running around with his little backpack and his little uh, torch on his head, uh, just exploring these kind of tiny little worlds. Uh, you know, it's it's a perfect kind of series of little worlds to explore. And, um, you know, and in typical Nintendo fashion, as you mentioned, you know, they're tiny, but they pack so much in within them. Uh, and... Some of those worlds, some of the later worlds, get pretty friggin' tricky in in terms yeah. of you know trying to navigate towards the end. So uh, and yeah, and they released it for like forty quid instead of sixty quid, which is the the kind of normal price of the the big Nintendo games. So uh, I definitely at some point feel like uh, I'll probably pick that up. But I did pick up uh, literally yesterday. I picked up Tennis Aces and mm. uh, I played for about forty five minutes last night. Uh, just doing the the single player mode um so not really too much to report on yet but yeah i'll be interested to get your takes next week when you've had a, a bit of a deeper dive on it yeah um i i have one more game that i didn't want to write down because i wanted to kind of catch you off guard with oh this. yeah I, this is what we were talking about the other night um so I, I i don't know what your awareness of the game i'm sure you know it exists uh, but I don't know how much it is on your shopping list and i'm here to plead the case that this may be the next game you buy um okay and, and that game is, I said to Mark this morning that it, or yesterday, it, it scratches a very particular Robinson itch. And that game is Onrush. Onrush. I have seen tweets about Onrush, but I okay. couldn't tell you anything more past that. So Onrush is a... It's by it's Codemasters, a, so yes, I'm already it's on a, board. Codemasters and Deep Silver, it's a racing game of a sort, but not not really. Um the the best way I can I can sum this up off the bat is the itch that this is going to scratch for you is a burnout shaped itch. Um, I see vehicular combat game. Yes. This is a game where literally the the point is not there's no finish line. You don't, it isn't a race, like a three lap race, and then you're finished. The, there are game modes that have different sort of, um, kind of objectives to them. And it's, it's online. There is some offline stuff or some cooperative mode stuff you can do, but the, the kind of, the, the thrust of the game is online, uh, where it's 12 players split automatically by the computer into two teams of six. Um, the, the modes I have here in front of me. So there's, um a mode called overdrive where the teams score by boosting so your basic driving mechanics is obviously you're you're driving along you get um a boost meter that gets filled up um by either taking down other cars 
or the computer spawns in a bunch of uh, the various vehicles you can drive in the game that are driven by AI and you can crash into them much easier than you can take down uh, like the opposing team. Like it just takes one shunt with your car to take off uh, one of the AI cars. Um, whether it be like um, there's there's different vehicles you can have like a motorbike or a buggy or a standard race car or a kind of like a, an all-terrain vehicle kind of thing. Um, so you build up your boost meter by either uh, knocking cars out, crashing on top of them or otherwise destroying them. Um, or by ramping off stuff and getting air. By the time you hit the ground, then your boost meter will will tick up a lot. Um, so in the overdrive mode, your team scores points by boosting. The first team to boost enough to reach the target's score number will win. Uh, in overdrive as well, uh, and in all other modes, what, if you keep boosting, there's a meter at the bottom of your screen that builds up a percentage. And when it gets to a... Uh, 100% you hit triangle and it does your onrush which is basically the equivalent of a, a nitrous oxide boost where everything goes real fucking blurry you go real fucking quick and kill, like destroy everything in your path that you swerve into uh, for a few seconds uh, another mode then is countdown which is a series of checkpoints and a timer that drains over time so it'll be like um, two green checkpoints that look like a kind of um, two goalposts and everybody needs to drive through them to keep the ticking timer on their team's kind of health meter going up. Uh, and for every subsequent person that drives through it, the goalposts get wider. Um, so you drive through, you need to get like as many members of your team to the checkpoints as quickly as possible, quicker than the other team, so that their timer drains down and yours doesn't because you're getting time boosts every time one of your players goes through one of these checkpoints. Um, then there's another one that's uh, called Lockdown, which is a King of the Hill style mode in which teams fight to stay inside a zone. So there's a moving circular zone that's just ahead of the leader of the pack in the race. And you need to get as many of your uh, team members inside and protecting that circle as possible as it's moving. And if you can stay inside that uh, zone for a set amount of time, then you win the point. And then as the other mode that is currently available is called Switch, which gives each member of the team three lives where like every time they're they crash out they get to switch vehicle if it's a kind if it's a track that will allow you to get a bunch of vehicles or if you have all the different kinds of vehicles unlocked and task the team uh, with taking each other down so like destroying like getting rid of all three lives on your opposing members team so that like one team is left standing at the end uh, upon crashing players will respawn with a more powerful vehicle in this mode every time if they have lives left um so is it like um uh like, is there kind of destructible elements to it, like in a destruction derby type of way? Uh, yeah, so like the, the the cars can take a bit of damage and stuff flies off and there's kind of like a, almost like in a first person shooter, you know, where things get a bit grey and like the, the kind of vision gets a bit blurry so that you know if you get hit sure. one more time, you're out. Um, the environment, the kind of wider environment, there are like smaller obstacles that can be destroyed, will get knocked to bits as you go through or like... Um, will kind of there's like on one racetrack i believe there's like a shack that gets more like every time you come past it on a loop um a bit more of it has fallen off so whereas you can kind of you can't pass through it on the first lap you can pass through on the second lap and maybe by the third lap then the thing will have fallen down and you can't use it anymore um but then there are bigger obstacles which are immovable like buildings and trees and things like that that you just need to avoid 
Um, the soundtrack in it is very much like what you want a game like a burnout sound like. It's like real kind of high octane, high kind of um, paced, uh, fun music to listen to. Like it's not the kind of I, once I've heard the soundtrack a bunch, I might end up listening to my own kind of music on it. But for now, it's it's perfectly fun. Uh, the net code is pretty damn sharp. I've never been waiting too long for a match. I've never had myself get dropped out because of lag or anything like that. Um, it's just like, if you want an arcade racer that is just fun to play, because as well, it's not the kind of game where, kind of like Splatoon. Do you remember when we talked about Splatoon? Is that one of the keys to that game's success is the fact that it's so fun, it doesn't matter if you're shite at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's so fun, it's so short, and you can get back into another mode really quickly. Yeah. Um, that's what this game has going for it. It's just so much fun that, like, I finished top of the leaderboard sometimes, I finished rock bottom, and I've still had a whale of a time. Uh, as well, there's no way to use, um, as in a lot of racing games, there's no way to use real world. Um, money to give yourself a competitive advantage there are really no competitive advantages you can get even by so there are loot boxes uh, that you unlock by like accomplishing various daily tasks and things like that in the single player mode or by doing like going up a level or earning badges in the the online mode but all it is is for cosmetics like you can get a different skin for your car or a different outfit for your driver or a different kind of like there's these things called tombstones which are little logos that are left where you crash into a wall or something like that so you can get different ones of those but like they're all cosmetic it has no effect on how well someone can drive or not just how cool your car looks um uh, one of the great things about this game is that at the moment it is in the playstation plus summer sale so if you are a ps plus member you can get this game for about 30 euro at the moment down from the full 65 that's kind of tempting by the sounds of it. I yeah, mean, you the, are the best judge of uh, of a Mark Robinson game, so hmm. put it this put it this way. You know how I'm not really apart from like Mario Kart and things like that. I'm not really a racing game guy. Yeah, yeah. I fucking love Onrush. Right. Uh, I really like this game, and just check out uh, if you don't want to take my word for it. Check out Barry at the Barry Lad on Twitter who sold me on the game and then he spent pretty much all weekend inside playing this game and is wildly in love with it as well um i i can't believe like this game came out a little while ago um it was announced october of last year and it came out uh the 5th of june and people aren't talking about it um, no I, I haven't heard a lot about it i've only seen passing comments yeah but um it's out so it's out on ps4 and xbox one but I think this summer sale has really done it the world of good because you can get the vanilla version, which I got for about 30 quid, and the deluxe edition, which comes with just a bunch of cosmetic stuff from the start uh, for 40 quid. And I think the fact that um, people are getting this double discount and it's one of the best offers for a newer game on there and it's the summer lull where people are like, I'll try something different. Um, I think word of mouth is really starting to get out about this game and I'm really happy for it because, wow, I would have slept on this game otherwise. Um, yeah, on rush definitely worth a punt for anybody uh that has the kind of money to pay for that um let's move on to the news, news on the mark. oh mark we were away for two weeks and what can only be described as an absolute catastrophe went down at arena net now i know 
as somebody with a job kind of like on the not in a denigrating sort of way but on the periphery of the games industry like you're not directly making a game yourself but you are familiar with the structure of the biz in what you do i mean this, i handle this... a twitter account that has to handle players yeah so, <laughs> so this is something that's gonna hit home a little bit for you so do you want to take the lead on this one because i'm sure you've been following this yeah uh, you know what not as much maybe as i should have um but certainly uh, i have enough information and you know it's been spoken about at work as you'd imagine um basically uh, two uh, Guild Wars 2 narrative designers, Jessica Price and Peter Fries, uh, were fired after Jessica had called out a player of the game on Twitter, uh, which prompted widespread backlash from that particular community, uh, which has then, since then, uh, seen similar type tactics um, from mobs against other women uh, at other game development studios. Uh, which you know definitely is gonna have those companies looking at their social media policies and practices and, and how best to address these types of situations. Uh, basically, Price, a narrative designer of ten years, had called out a player, uh, a YouTuber, for explaining the concept of di explaining the concept of dialogue choices to her. Um, and I'm not gonna go like full into details about what was was said. Um, Here's the thing, so it's very tough, and and you know I have this on a daily basis, and certainly when uh, things are not going right, things are uh, broken, um, players are just you know just fucking hounding on you about saying that doesn't work. Um, that can be frustrating. Uh, and you know a lot of time it's just uh, the player wants to play the game that some part of it is not working for some reason this is this is kind of more what i have to deal with on a, on a daily basis and i can get that and you know we do have a significant portion of people um that come to us and say hey i know you have this issue it's grand just want to make you aware of it hope it gets resolved soon and that's lovely that's you know that's great um then you just have those players that make a Twitter account uh, solely for the purpose of just bombarding your Twitter account um, with stuff that's just not useful uh, and is at times abusive. And, you know, I have the mute button, so that's great. Uh, now, this is a little bit of a different situation because this is about a specific person in question, you know, for like the, the Twitter account for what I work on. Um, you know, there's no person that the player can see. It's, you know, there are a bunch yeah. of avatar character type agents, if you will. Um, mm. So, you know. and as well, like it's, it, it can be a separate issue if it was like, um, if if she was operating the company Twitter account, because surely there's like there's policy in place. It's not strictly her personal account uh, yeah. where her views are expressed. Yeah. Uh, now, with that said, obviously it it's you know specifically clear who she is and who she works for. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean it's it's grey area type territory when it comes to what is acceptable on your own account, what is acceptable on a, a, a company account um, when you know your public your own account it's still you know you, we know who you are um now here's the thing you know everyone obviously has bad days everyone um can lash out and um you know there there are two things here for me that i don't have to deal with that 
uh, Jessica has to deal with. Uh, one, um, players are not kind of calling me out by name or are not, you know, like I'm not kind of directly responsible for uh, certain aspects of the game that she's been called out for. Yeah, and two, they, they don't know who you are. No, kind of no. And yeah. two, and this is probably more important, is I'm not a woman. Uh, what? I know, right? My, my Get out of town. Um, and so I can never, you know, fully appreciate and understand what uh, a woman working in, you know, any industry, um, but definitely the fucking games industry, uh, the, the, the levels of rampant abuse that is a mixture of, uh, player ignorance, not, you know, knowing how parts of a game work or, or whatever the case is, um, but then just mixed in with, with, you know, blatant sexism as well uh and and you know and we've seen this trickle over into uh, you know mob campaigns at other development studios and you know it's it's an extension and off branch of gamergate whatever you want to call it and it's fucking pathetic uh, but you know that's just how it is uh, as much as i wish it wasn't so you know i don't really have any strong opinions opinions on it other than uh i think that arena net uh overreacted i i think the firing yeah. of jessica was was completely unnecessary and the fucking uh and not you know in a it's a man he shouldn't have been fired but in a you know he was just defending his colleague he sh peter should not have been fired um you know this is something that did not need a knee-jerk reaction it's something that should have had the time to look over what was yeah. done and you know the best way to look at how to use social media going forward as mentioned earlier so uh yeah you know she could have handled her side of things better there, there's no denying that and I, I i'm not saying otherwise uh but to be fired over this is is you know, borderline unacceptable um the president of the company mike o'brien kind of came out and acted like that wasn't why she was fired yeah. trying to like uh but what it is like it, it's pretty much evident to everybody that it's the external pressure forced their hand and, and whatever it's not you want like to say she like was there's... fired for being a woman like you know we're, no. you know we're not saying that um it is a case of whatever you think about like we said there's there's definitely some arguments to be had about like um if you're uh like in a prime position within a company you're a lead designer um and you are on twitter and everybody knows who you are you do whether you post like oh views expressed are my own like you do indirectly represent your company on there and, and whether for so for a lot of people now I, I i tend to be of the opinion that like just let them say whatever the fuck they want you know it's their own personal account they're not tweeting from the company account but like i i, I completely get and sympathize with that people who own companies don't necessarily see it that way because they're 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 representatives of the company and things they say could reflect poorly on them whatever your your views on that the real problem here is a company president caving to external pressure um rather than their own internal investigation and and it's firing two people it's um, fucking embarrassing what should have happened was uh no like either a public statement just saying look it'll be investigated and that's the end of the how it's talked about um or just don't respond you know um and, and deal with it internally <laughs> and uh, it without even saying anything like yeah. there was nothing 
forcing you apart from just getting people to shut up there was like, nothing forcing like you to get rid of these people this quickly here's the thing i don't know what um the uh the, the business metrics of guild wars 2 is you know um i don't know if it's <clears throat> a, a factor of uh the the president is, is desperate to keep a player base a gamer base on uh, yeah. for whatever reason you know i don't know that side of it but like for me personally and um the work that i do you know, when a player comes to you and threatens that they're not going to play your game anymore um, yeah. due to something that is wholly unreasonable. You know, if an, an agent talks to them in an unacceptable way or there is a mistake made and we can rectify it and we can see somewhere along the lines that it's an issue on our end, that's one thing. But when we have like a policy set in place and a player comes to us and says, well, I'm not playing your game anymore. It's like, fuck off then. You know, it's like yeah. it, we work to a specific set of policies and, and rules yeah. and whatever else. And it's all clearly there. If there's something there that we can see that can be worked and fixed on, you know, thank you for the feedback. We'll yeah. look into it. But it's just, you know, no one player uh, is more important than uh, someone that works for you uh and yeah, I mean, you know, and like, just uh, as, it's as a well, dumb situation. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things as well, it's not like this was a person that's tied to the company using like hate speech or, or anything like that. This was somebody who was defending a critique of her work by saying you are unqualified to make the critique that you are making. And then she called him a rando asshat. Like that was as bad as it got, <laughs> um, which was incredible. Um, like that is a 2002 Chris Jericho insult. Yes, indeed. Uh, and this is what causes fury. And the other real problem here is, as we kind of alluded to, the setting of the precedent that um, this kind of sustained harassment campaign can get people unseated from jobs. And the Kotaku article that I, I read on it talked about how uh, women in particular across the industry since this incident happened over July 4th weekend have I mean, noticed a sharp spike in targeted abuse at them. To the um, fucking surprise of employers. no one. Yeah, and this all seems to be coming from that kind of 4chan, Gamergate, and the, the subreddit Kotaku in action, which is kind of where a lot of these uh, organized harassment campaigns uh, are um, kind of, uh, they, they start there. Uh, a subreddit that was nearly shut down uh, while we were off the last two weeks. Uh, the guy who, the guy who opened it was basically like, "Yeah, this thing got way out of control and it's pretty awful." So he tried to shut it down, and then Reddit stepped in and revived it because their policy is like, uh, moderators can't just shut down a community if it's an active one. If it's an active one, there is actually an appeal process you can go through to reopen it. And I understand that that's a good idea for some kinds of subreddit, but this one was probably better left in the grave. Um, but yeah, so the, the precedent that has been set by this, that now these kind of people think that by doing targeted abuse on the people they don't like working in the games industry, um, whether it be female or in a couple of examples here in this Kotaku article, they talk about a transgender developer who, who is choosing to remain anonymous. Um, they received a three digit numbers worth of letters complaining that it was morally wrong to hire a transgender designer. And it sets uh, a bad example. It's, uh, uh, oh yeah, and one of them said that the quality of the studio's games had gone down since she and another woman were hired and that her Twitter account set a bad example for this letter writer's children who supposedly play the game. <sighs> what a dumpster fire, which is where all those letters should go. 
yeah uh just to moving on on i think what it, uh, oh yeah this was another great thing as well so for a brief period of time the developer said her ceo was ready to tell her boss to fire her then another employee realized something was amiss with the letters that were coming in 50 or so of them glitched out with a lot of the variables in the form of the letter expo- uh, exposed including um percentage female name said the developer so this made it clear that the letters were simply form letters with blank blank spaces for the name of any woman the mob wanted yeah, to attack yeah I, I saw that <laughs> um, and I'll just because that that is ridiculous enough to speak for itself without analysis I will close on what I think is the key line of the whole article and that is a quote saying this is what these people think they can do to us now so I hope you're very proud of yourself on that one arena net because you have just made life even more difficult for women and, and transgender people and minorities within the games industry bravo Moving on to entirely happier news, the Theme Hospital spiritual successor, Two Point Hospital, which we talked about uh, when it was revealed. I uh, didn't think we'd see this game for a while, Mark, but it's showing up 30th of August this year, uh, $24.99 sterling. Um, you can get it at, at the moment, you can pre order it at a 10% discount on Does the it game. pain you saying sterling, by the way? A uh, little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's out the 30th of August. Um, Theme Hospital is a kind of like, it, it wasn't necessarily a genre I was crying out personally to be revived, but it was a cool thing when I played it back in the 90s, and I'm really glad this kind of niche is being served. The, the key thing is that some of the developers behind, like, that were in Bullfrog uh, are yeah. a part of this. Um, and, you know, when I think of Bullfrog, I think of uh, EA, which is not good, but uh, that's not their fault. <laughs> it's never good to think of EA, man. No, uh, but this is cool, and so that means there'll definitely be something. You know, I played a lot of Theme Park uh, as a child, and so I never I never did actually touch Theme Hospital, um, but, you know, I imagine it's along the same lines, and uh, that's an itch I could see myself wanting to, to scratch. Um and yeah, I, I this is cool. I, I was expecting to see this as soon as well. So uh, yeah, good luck to it. I remember myself and my friend would make a a, a hellscape of uh, trapping a doctor in a room that uh, had no doors, no windows, and every single part of the wall was covered in uh, chocolate bar machines. But he didn't have enough money on him to buy a chocolate bar. <laughs> Fair enough. A twix too far, my friend. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Moving on, speaking of Mario Tennis Aces, which you just picked up and I've been playing the last couple of weeks, um, some balancing going on, which is cool. Nintendo, I, I think we could say at this point, are, are pretty well known now that they've got a hang of this internet thing for good uh, post-release support for a lot of their games. Um, and apparently a lot of players were complaining that Bowser Jr. in particular seemed to have no obvious weaknesses to his game with an incredible reach and the ability to trick shot on reaction. Yeah, but what about Chain Chomp? I couldn't fucking get past any yeah, you Chain hate, Chomp. You hate Chain Chomp, but I hate Rosalina. Oh, I, really? I think, yeah, I think for... I, I, I think for a lot of the players, um, a lot of people who played, like I've seen people complain about different, like facing off against different players online. And I think in some ways that's the sign of a well-balanced game because what it is, what it seems to be is there's some players that are just like, their strength is your typical weakness. Yeah, see, Rosalina, I I know how to play against her because she basically acts the same way Boo does in Mario 64. So, yeah. like, I have her sussed out. Chain Chomp, I, I, I just, played I don't Chain see Chomp a couple how. of times and I never dropped a point to. How? Yeah, I just, I don't know. I never had a real... Now, it could be just that whoever was playing as Chain Chomp was dog shit. But <laughs> um, that's just what happened. Don't, don't um, pick yourself up now, do you? But Bowser Jr., 
uh, was one who like a disproportionate amount of people were talking about how like he had just no weakness to his game. There was nothing you could exploit. Um, the game imbalance was severe enough that players began to deliberately quit online matches with Bowser Jr. to avoid facing him. Indeed, the community began to agree it was socially acceptable to drop out of <laughs> Bowser Jr. games. <laughs> Uh, the latest update post reveals Nintendo has responded to these complaints. As the notes show, it has altered the character's abilities. For starters, Nintendo has adjusted how fast Bowser Jr. can move when charging a shot, but also lowered the angle at which he hits the ball back. There may be further changes in the near future, as Nintendo promised to adjust the character again in time for the August tournament. Uh, I guess I might, have to get the, I might have to go on the forums for this and see just like... Because again, yeah. this is you know a part of my daily fucking job uh, with balances balancing and whatnot else so uh you know i'd, I'd like to see how this you know, i i really tennis. i really feel bad for the people that work in support for nintendo uh, who have to deal with balancing complaints when that smash brothers game comes out with every single character in the world i mean us. i i feel sorry for nintendo when it comes to smash brothers in general but hey I, here he is um yeah i mean my the most pressing question when it comes to mario tennis is where the fuck is roy yeah, he is your boy. And every time that we talk about Mario Tennis, and until he is released, I'm going to ask you, Dave, every single time, where the fuck is Roy? Well, at least for a little while, you're getting a character per month if you take part in the tournament. So uh, make I sure that you that. do. I think it's... Uh... Oh, who is it? is it? Oh, fuck. The dude, the turtle, green turtle. Uh, Cooper? Paratri- Wait, the green turtle. Yeah, you know the dude you race against in the first level of Mario 64. Oh, uh, fuck, what's his name? Um, you know, that game we've only ever played a thousand Yeah, I know, times. right? I'm completely blanking on it, but him, anyway. He's your, um, okay. I'm pretty sure he's your July. If you play, you don't even have to win the tournament. You just play in the tournament and he unlocks. Cool. Um, Can't so... wait until they have, like, a question box as a character. Oh, man, that'd be great stuff. Uh, anyway. Moving on, uh, this is a cool bit of news, like following up on some stories we've had in recent months about accessibility. So we had the uh, Microsoft, their big push of their accessibility controller at E3 uh, and other stories like that. Like as far back as I think our first accessibility story we talked about was, um, fuck, what would it have been? Would it have been, oh yeah, when Rise of the Tomb Raider came out and they had uh, different color-coded subtitles for people with different kinds of colorblindness. Um, that was the first time, the one of the first times I took note of like someone doing something real different I hadn't seen before with accessibility in a game. Um, the game accessibility conference has been announced for uh, Paris in October, so that's not too far off the time of Paris Games Week, but it's a completely separate affair. Uh, it's a one-day event, and it's going to be de- dedicated to making games more accessible to players with disabilities. It promises to cover everything from indie to AAA development, from academia to accessibility specialists. Its goal, according to the press release, is to ensure any game can reach as many people as possible, so no player is unnecessarily excluded from everything games have to offer. This, uh, to me, they, by the way, the, the conference will have uh, some kind of like um, some indie developers at it. It will have uh, representatives of PlayStation, Xbox, Creative Assembly, and even the BBC <laughs> speaking at it, um, as well as advocates for disabled gaming and accessibility. Um, it's pretty awesome, Mark, that like we're kind of we've got technology to such a point now where we, we actually can do this sort of stuff. Yeah, it's, you know, with, with any... With anything, um, when you can get to the point that um, 
and and we're seeing this in all, all forms of the, the games industry. Even though we were talking about what we were talking about earlier with the the arena net fiasco, but this uh, inclusivity uh, of everyone, um, regardless of gender, color, disability. You know, uh, the idea of having no player being excluded from you know a game uh, is a wonderful uh, is a wonderful concept, a wonderful idea, um, and you know that that kind of idea has resonated with me as far back as the, the the brief time that I, you know, dabbled in game development and when we uh myself and friend of the show Chaz Ali would uh do the um uh global game jams every January and you know they give you kind of a list of things that the game has to do. Then they give you all these optional things as well. And one of the optional things is like, you know, can any person of any sort of disability play this game? Um, can, you know, will this game be able to be played by someone who's colorblind, for example? And that's kind of a, a common thing we get when we think about uh, Jeff Gerstmann of Giant Bomb. So yeah, it's, 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 it's a really cool thing. Uh, and, you know, uh, the fact that they've got, uh, that the people announced, the, the companies behind it, and BBC, um, that's all you can hope is that it just kind of grows and grows from there. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Mark, remember that game, uh, No Man's Sky? I uh, yeah. So that was uh, you. You forget. You you do forget. I don't know about you, but you just forget that No Man's Sky is a thing. And, and obviously, I, I, this is more for you because you have the game. Yeah, I forget it, and I quite like it. Yeah, uh, that's the <laughs> thing. Know? Yeah, I remember when we talked about it, and you're like, "This is a fine game." It's but then you you know had grounded your expectations going in. Yeah, it's um, it's such it's been such a chill. It's a chill experience, and slowly, like every six months or so, they add like a substantial content update of stuff that you like. Obviously, cynically, you can say, and a part of me does always say, like, why wasn't this fucking stuff there to begin with? But the fact that they just didn't leave the game and its player base in the lurch, they are still, like, it's two years since that game came out. Yeah, um, I, the thing is, go on, yeah. the, the, the joke, and, you know, I, I, I looked at um, the post that Hello Games did uh, and saying about, hey, here's, you know, the next uh, content drop and here's what's in it. And, you know, like every other tweet was, oh, well, you know, I, um, if this was in the release two years ago, I'd still be playing whatever. And it's like, it's, your, your joke is dull and uh, yeah. whatever, you know. Not are... only that, but most people who bought it at the time bought it digitally. So they probably still have it and still could play it. Yes. <laughs> you know well. what I mean? Um, and I will be. I actually did, right before we went on, start downloading this ahead of next week's update. Um, and let me tell you just a few of the things that are in this one. Um, the the major addition of what they're calling the next update is multiplayer, proper multiplayer, where a small group of players can uh, localize together on a planet. They can explore the planet. They can build stuff together. They can become space pirates together. Uh, all the stuff you were really hoping that you were going to be able to do with friends when uh, someone, whether it be Sean Murray himself or him with sony's gun to his head or sony themselves someone was lying <laughs> about whether you could do that at the start when the game came out still don't know why you'd want to see another fucking person in the game anyway but that's me mm. uh, yeah i know right <laughs> we're we are the ultimate single player players but i will be excited to, i'm going to try bully brian into downloading this game again and playing it with me next week because i'm really intrigued to see how the system works with multiplayer um, you'll also be able to do it in a mode that like I didn't want it for when I was um, in my ship because I thought the playing uh, or 
piloting around your ship in first person looked pretty cool but you can now play the game in first or third person perspective which i think will be really cool for just wandering around the terrain um just being able to kind of rotate the camera and see trouble coming around you um and stuff like that you can bring your you can bring people together and it will be more possible to bump into or prey on random players um as well as that uh this article from Eurogamer goes into more detail about some of the stuff that actually quite excites me as well in this multiplayer obviously being the and the 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 camera perspectives being the the big uh headlines here but also the terrain generation system has been upgraded um which not only uh kind of improves the appearance of the game but also the the variance in how planets look uh so like after a while like if you played that game um like i'd say i put about 30 40 hours into that game after a while even though the planets are named something different you start to see the variations on a theme and a lot of stuff starts to look a bit similar um this is helping that make gives kind of a lot of planets their own unique um looking terrain or at least semi-unique looking um enhanced rock and ground textures helping that as well same with water and clouds um additionally he this guy noticed in the trailer that the atmospheric and lighting effects uh, as well as the foliage have had a bit of an overhaul which makes uh kind of traveling through space and just looking at things uh, a little bit nicer uh there will also be increased ship npc and building detail as well as planetary rings and improved space visuals uh, as well as them uh They've kind of broken down some of the restrictive rules they had on building bases. So now uh, there were only certain flat areas on planets you were able to build bases before. Now you can pretty much build it everywhere, including in a new addition in this patch. You can build underwater bases, which look cool as fuck. Uh, you can also, there are less limitations on how much you can build and what shapes and things like that. So there's a lot more creative kind of creative license being given to players in in where and what they can build their bases out of um you can now also own multiple bases on multiple planets which was something that fucked me off so like if i wanted to move from one star system to the other i had to either abandon my base or deconstruct the whole thing hope i had enough inventory space and then try and rebuild it in the new star system but now you're going to be able to um keep them on multiple planets and multiple systems which means that you can kind of fast travel between bases and stuff like that and a e nice easy way to get between systems um instead of ha having to go through that big kind of like arduous process of rebuilding um the complexity and size limits are increased um and now you can also uh, assemble and upgrade a fleet of frigates and command them from the bridge of your freighter so the the freighter system has also been improved and deepened there like it's a really really sizable content update um i really like to kind of get back into it i haven't read it about a year i'd say um maybe nine months uh I kind of I think the last one when they put in the freighters I played it for a little while um, but apart from that I haven't really touched it in a long time so I'm very much looking forward to getting back into it uh, just to see what they've done with it cool I look forward to hearing your uh, your report uh, over the next week or two yeah indeed Mark we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that um, there was a Nintendo Labo contest going on with users of the, the Labo system that crazy crazy Nintendo toy maker project uh, with cardboard and things like that the contest was to build the most kind of innovative Labo creations and customizations that players could come up with. 
three categories were open for submissions best decorated toy con best toy con mod using toy con garage which was the uh the software on the on the um labo stuff uh that allows you to kind of like dick around with how the systems work on it uh, and best original invent invention using toycon garage top entries for best decorated toycon category which set players the task of dolling up their creations properly any craft materials you choose um so those include a tiny cardboard treehouse there's a video uh floating around the place on youtube of the labo contest so i would urge you to check it out because it's mental so there's a diminutive cardboard treehouse there was a labo t-rex and an elaborate zelda themed piano complete with korok diorama and removable master sword <laughs> so that was one category that was wild enough and th things get weird as you might expect, entries in the best Toy-Con mod using Toy-Con Garage category are a little bit more involved, drawing on the flexibility of Labo's surprisingly capable programming tools. Those include a Boppet-like creation in which you're tasked with twisting and shaking Labo uh, as instructed to score points, as well as a home repair-themed game of rapid responses. Taking things in a more practical direction, however, is the Labo Alarm Clock. This elaborate entry, which even features an analog-style clock face, can be set by inserting different physical knobs into the device and twisting them to wind the clock forward. Last but not least uh, is the best original invention using Toy-Con Garage category, which features some particularly impressive entries. These include a motion-controlled tea shop time management game in which four teapots fashioned out of card could must be manipulated and poured as quickly as possible in order to satisfy the demands of customers and score points. Don't Break the Line is another nifty game. This started by inserting a coin... <laughs> To play, you shift a lever up and down through one of the three positions to catch a line as it races across the screen. Win and you're awarded a handful of sweets for your effort and your cold hard cash. Most elaborate of all, and this is kind of wild, in the so <laughs> is a solar-driven accordion which uses the Joy-Con's infrared functionality to check if sunlight can be seen through the finger holes and then generate the correct corresponding notes. There's also a second Joy-Con reading the device's rotation. The bigger the tilt, the louder the sound. And finally, touch inputs via the screen, which can adjust the octave and that the accordion plays. There's a video of that as well. Um, I think I accurately predicted, Mark, that the the winners and runners up of this contest would be fucking bananas. But how cool is that? I mean, here's the thing. Like if I ever actually <clears throat> had got around to getting uh, Nintendo Labo, like I wouldn't be able to make anything more than maybe perhaps a slightly more advanced cardboard box. Uh, yeah. Like looking through the, the, the page with like some of the things that have been made. It's just fucking mad. Um, yeah. But you know, that's, that's the beauty of Nintendo and the beauty of a competition like this. Yeah, so uh, the people who won will win, uh, we, as we talked about, a gorgeous limited edition cardboard-themed Switch uh, as their prize. Um, what I'm excited for is the future of the community here. Um, I, I, I can see... I haven't actually looked. I'm sure there is a very active subreddit. Uh, what I would be. want... Like, if I was about 12 or 13, I would be on that subreddit and I would be downloading diagrams for, like, get your own sheet of cardboard, draw this stuff on it, fold it this way, and here's your new Labo toy. Hey, what, what have you made with, with yours? Uh, I've only... What did I make? I made the go-kart and I have... I'm just trying to look here. I made the go-kart and I started making the piano but got distracted. Uh, things have been kind of... Uh, like I, Because some of them take like literally several hours to do, 
Sure. I very seldom have the time to just completely switch off from the world for several hours and there's so much stuff coming out that I'm like, oh yeah, that's something that Labo is kind of timeless. You know, it's like Lego. It's always something I can come back to. It's not really pressing that I accomplish all my Labo toys immediately. Um, it's probably something like when I when I start my new job in a couple of weeks, it's probably going to be something I use to decompress. <laughs> um, but yeah, something like put on a movie... Uh, crack your switch out in front of you and just follow the instructions just a relaxing time sure. like some sort of therapy great um german lawmakers mark uh have banned the uh something to do with pre-orders um this idea that so y- you've been to a game retailer a, a GameStop, or the like um, Sadly, and before yes. before games come out they're often put up for pre-order mm-hmm. um Germany have decided that not the pre-order culture in general is poison to them. They haven't decided that. But what they've decided is that no longer can games retailers uh, just put up pre-order games where the release date is TBC. Yeah, which uh, I I completely agree. That's a fucking absurd notion to begin with. Yeah, because I believe you could have gotten um red dead redemption pre-ordered here in some game retailers like the last year and a half or so yeah um and in the uk you can pre-order things like death stranding already i mean the the most ridiculous would be if you could pre-order the final fantasy 7 remake which you probably <laughs> yeah somewhere well, hey <laughs> yeah i i would guess that that probably did go like after that e3 some places probably did offer pre-orders probably but sometimes they do like when it's a vague one and it gets moved to even more vague status they do cancel it yeah um but yeah uh this is fair enough it should be common sense that unless you know like at least the window in which it's coming out like what's the point in doing a pre-order but well, the it, games the games retailers are so desperate to please 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 spend money at our brick and mortar shop and not on the online store that they they kind of disregard that yeah stuff. I, it it's on the player to not be so fucking stupid to pre-order something that doesn't actually have a confirmed release date but you know more power yeah. to i guess um Slightly off topic, but I did go into uh, GameStop yesterday when I picked up Mario Tennis, and like, now I don't buy games from um, actual shops that often, and so it always takes me by surprise when they ask it. But you know, when the guy, your man, looks at you, me, and says, "Would you like to, um, yeah. you know, ensure your? Would you like game protection? Would you like game protection?" And I'm looking at him, and I'm just like, "It's a cartridge." Why, yeah. why do I need game protection? Well, yeah, the thing about, like, I understand, like, in some respects, because if no, it's, I, like, a disc-based game... Dave, and you're, what I understand is KPIs. Yeah, yeah. Like, I from the I'm trying to think from the perspective of the consumer, who would ever buy it? So if you bought GTA Five, and that's obviously a platform you're not going to trade in for years, uh, the game protection, um, in theory, allows you to get a new scratch-free disc. Yeah, if sure, like, if it's a disc, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not even going to try it and and fight that because sure it's a disc but it's like yeah. it's a it's a cartridge and it's yeah. not even a cartridge like a game boy original game boy which has an internal battery which will die mm. at some point um so there was just a kind of a, a blank expression on my face and i think he could see that i was looking at him and uh, why have you asked me that question yeah and I, I my, my thing is that the only games i buy physically anymore are the games i absolutely intend to trade back as soon as i'm I've beaten them. So like I never get game protection because I'm just I, like before I have a chance to scratch the disc it'll already be back traded in. So what's the point? 
So, I, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, final news story of the week, and this is just one I wanted to get your thoughts on, Mark. Um, and that was a survey that was recently conducted. Let me just scroll down here and get the exact details of it. Um, so, childcare.co.uk surveyed more than 2,000 parents in the UK and found more than half of them allow their children to play video games for over 18s without supervision or knowledge of the game beforehand. Now, we grew up in a time, we, well, we've actually grown up, the the history of our uh, game playing is basically the history of the, the censorship and aged rating of video games. Yes, yeah, so uh, because what, like 92, we, 93, was it? Yeah, so, like, if you're even slightly older than us, you remember a time where ratings for games did not exist. Um, but we kind of, like, grew up in the nascent days of it. We remember the jack thompsons of the world as well and all that good stuff and the moral panics over uh, a video game or two every generation we, we've been through all of it mark um and i wanted to get your take on because i have a feeling your answer would probably be similar to mine so finding out that more than half of parents let their kids play 18 plus video games sounds like a very what could be if this was written up by the Daily Mail and not Eurogamer be a very sensationalist um, statistic when you were growing up Mark what was the, the approach to allowing you to play um, what would be theoretically unsuitable video games I mean there wasn't exactly much of a fight when I said I wanted who wants to be a millionaire on the PS1 yeah you know um no, there, there, there was never. I mean, you know, I. I suppose looking back, um, the big game, the point of contention would have been Grand Theft Auto Three, because yeah. that would have been what two thousand and one, and so that I, would have been. There was a lot of. Uh, that was the first. This game lets you um, murder a prostitute. All that nonsense. Yeah. So you know, I would have been. 12 13 around that period so yeah probably a game that i shouldn't have been playing um and you know a lot of it comes down to obviously the the generation above us our parents uh a significant portion of them don't really know anything about video games and yeah. they have never really even attempted to look at the age rating um yeah and you know a lot of it is a simple fact that if a kid wants a game, you know, the parent's just going to go into the shop and buy it and that's it. You know, it's a bit different than when you go to the cinema and obviously, you know, if you've got a kid with you, they're not going to be able to. But it is kind of, in some ways, it's our generation's version of what our parents' generation probably had to deal with with the cinema. When censorship was coming in in the cinema, like their parents probably had a similar moral panic to the movies they were seeing as kind of some parents have to the video games we're playing. Well, I, the, the moral panic, yes, but the actual effect of the age rating system, not really, because, yeah. you know, as you've just fucking said, 50% of kids under the age of uh, are playing games, you know, that they shouldn't be playing. Um now, I guess it really it comes down to your perspective of like what impact can uh, a game like a Mortal Kombat or a Grand Theft Auto have on a child playing it that shouldn't be playing it. And yeah. you know, we've been playing games all of our lives, as we've said before, and we're both, for the most part, relatively normal people, um, or certainly you know have no inklings to go out and you know stab someone. Um, yeah. Although you're from Newbridge, so you know I'm not gonna. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's self defense. What yeah, can I say? Sure. Um, um, a bit, a bit of light stabbing never did anyone any harm. So, like, you know, I don't really 
have much of opinion on this because it's that- it's it's a, it's a statistic that um, if you want to draw a lot from it, you can. But at the same time, I don't really think there is a lot to draw from it. Kids well, go, I want so- this game. Parents buy it. End of. Here, here's my thought on the whole like age rating system for video games and this kind of comes out of it's a discussion i've been kind of having with myself out of like the hypothetical i've been asked a couple of times is what will you do when you have a child because i grew up and like some of the games i got on day one are games that in theory i shouldn't have been allowed to get for the age i was gta 3 gta vice city san andreas um, Manhunt I picked up on day one see now like, Manhunt like even I would be like you know what I don't really think I need to keep yeah. playing this because my 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 grandmother at the time her rationale was well I was a normal kid with my head screwed on right like I knew the difference between reality and not reality I, I was quite sensible this stuff wasn't warping my mind and I wasn't like I was playing a lot of video games, but it, I wasn't getting traumatized by it. Like she trusted me to know, like, cause she was obviously completely out of her depth dealing with video games. Sure. So if I told her as a teenager, now obviously if I was eight years old and trying to buy Manhunt, she would probably feel differently. But once I passed the age of about 12, like once I was in secondary school, I think her rationale was one, I'm out of my depth. So there's no point in trying to act like I know what I'm talking about by not letting them play these video games. And number two, I think the rationale with a lot of parents, and this is what I found talking to, because I actually had a conversation with a parent in a school I used to teach in about Call of Duty specifically. Um, And that is the idea that if the kid isn't playing it in my house, they're going to be playing it in their mate's house, and they're going to get made fun of for being the only kid that doesn't have it. Which is something that you definitely, like, as a parent, that's something that does factor in. Like, you can try and shield a teenager away from some of this stuff but the fact is if they want to get exposed to it they're going to figure out a way to do it and like you don't want the kid to be the one who is ostracized by his mates because his parents are these kind of like up on their moral high horse about stuff i also think that every child is different um some children at the age of 12 or 13 are quite emotionally and mentally well developed and could handle playing something that will be traumatizing to other kids that has a lot of violence in it or 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 kind of like scenes of a graphic nature whereas other kids definitely like would be of the more like i said the more sensitive kind the more like uh kind of visceral visual things might set them off more so i think it's a matter for the individual parent to use the the age rating as less of a rule and more of a guideline that hey if this game says 18s maybe and it'll be thankful because our generation are going to be the first generation of parents who their entire lives grew up playing video games um so we're going to have a better more well-rounded opinion on it kind of like our parents generation weren't as like getting carried away about us going to see movies that were theoretically unsuitable for us because they knew they went through it themselves so when our kids come to us talking about like can i play a call of duty game or stuff like that because i've been around the block of video games i'm going to like be more of a relative expert than my parents would have been um so i'll be able to decide a bit more of an educated opinion on things uh when it comes to my kid uh, and that's that's where i come down on it like it is a guideline rather than a rule if i see 18s on a game that my child wants like 15 20 years from now i can go okay well it says 18s maybe i'll just have a quick look at the back or i'll like a google review or something like that just to see what kind of stuff is in it and then like if my kid has his head screwed on i'll I'll probably say yeah fair enough um or like 
you know, uh, I can like sit in on a session and if I see something that's like, whoa, I'll just take that disc out of the machine. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of where I come down on it. It's a bit of a like, I, I don't think it's as cut and dry as the people who run Peggy would like you to think it is. No, and yeah, obviously it's not as as simple as that. Um, there are a number of factors that go into to this. Um, I mean, there are people out there that do see it as very black and white as, oh, this kid shouldn't play this game because it will turn them into a, a murderer, a nut job, whatever, um, mm. when that's not the case, you know. Um, and, you know, gun violence in America is, is always the kind of big thing that yeah comes but up again they sell call of duty in other countries uh, yeah exactly <laughs> uh, yeah it goes without saying it's like no no the issue with your country is not that the kids play video games <laughs> it, it's hey, how much time do you have yeah yeah <laughs> uh you can buy a gun in walmart there you go so yeah yeah um, time to move on to the final part of every episode of Link to the Cast. That's the Link to the Cast book club, where we talk about uh, an important game from the past that you should either play for the first time if you haven't before, or pick up again if it's been a while. And this one, the baton will be firmly passed to Mark Robinson as we talk Trials HD. Trials HD is an Xbox Live Arcade game developed by Red, Red Links and published by Microsoft Game Studios. It was released on August 12, 2009 as part of the second annual Xbox Live Summer of Arcade and was later re-released in a retail pack alongside Limbo and Splosion Man in April 2011. It is a 2.5D puzzle racing game. The player must guide a trial motorcycle with exaggerated physics through various obstacles to reach each stage's finish line. On the September 6, 2012, it was announced that a Microsoft Windows version of Trials HD would be bundled inside a special version of Trials Evolution, dubbed Trials Evolution Gold Edition. Although this version changes the physics of the game, it is the third game in the series. On February 11, 2016, Microsoft added Trials HD as part of its backwards compatibility program for Xbox One. Uh, the game was a commercial success, with sales exceeding 2 million units, factoring collective downloadable content sales. So, um, yeah, this one's going to be, you know, pretty much on me. Um, you've you've uh, informed me. You don't have a lot of experience with this game, but... Yeah, like, I, I know what it is, and I appreciate it, but it's never just been something that I, I've gotten too into. I, I think part of it could be that um, you didn't have an Xbox One, uh, an Xbox 360, did you? No, no, yeah. I didn't. So I think what part... Of of what you know makes Trials HD what it is is the time and place of it, uh, and I, I've discussed before about a number of games that came out in the period of uh, around like two thousand and eight to two thousand eleven of those Xbox Live games that were you know these games that were between ten and twenty quid. Um, some of them factored in. Uh, multiplayer aspects some of them didn't like a super meat boy um trials hd was one of those games where 
it, it really was the kind of, uh, so me and Jack, we did our episode about SSX3. Uh, and one of the things that we loved about that game is that, you know, we were constantly trying to beat each other's scores, beat each other's times. You know, we'd go around each, uh, each other's house uh, and, and do Metro City over and over and over again just to, you know, beat our scores or the high scores or whatever. Um, and Trials HD really is, is an extension of that um, because it now has the, the online uh, multiplayer functionality, which means that, you know, I can spend four hours trying to edge half a millisecond off my best time or off of Jack's best time go to bed then wake up to realize the psychopath had been up to four o'clock in the morning trying to then edge half a millisecond off of my best time um and you know that was the span of about eight long months that you know I look back and realize I'm never getting that time back but it was gratifying and rewarding nonetheless um and that's one of the big appeals about Trials HD is that um and it, it's kind of just commonplace now with uh, online uh, multiplayer scoring and whatnot. And, you know, it wasn't exactly like this was an, a new thing, but it was kind of where I really had my first taste of it. And I think a lot of that is down to just the fact that Trials HD as a game was something that I was, uh, it just kind of gravitated towards me. Uh, now, to actually talk about what the hell Trials HD is, but is basically, uh, if you've ever um, click, viewed Eurosport at any kind of random time of the day, and they have uh, people on motocross bikes, but they're not actually racing them, well, it is a race, but they're trying to maneuver around obstacles, usually in a don't-touch-the-floor-it's-lava kind of way, um, yeah. using you know all assortments of... Uh, cylindrical objects and barrels and hay that have planks on top of them and all that kind of nonsense and just doing stuff that you know really shouldn't be possible it's kind of like the it's parkour on a motocross bike uh if you can you know imagine mm. that visual um and so it uses that as as the backdrop and i remember um when i was a lot younger uh in secondary school uh about 13 or 14 and there were a number of websites, because I never did any work in uh, uh, the ICT lessons. I just, you know, was like, oh my god, this is the internet, what the fuck is this? Um, and would find websites like Coffee Break, Arcade, and Newgrounds, you know, is the big one. Uh, and, and found all these different types of Flash games, usually poorly implemented Flash games involving Stickman-type characters. Um, but I did find a couple of games that... Uh, were kind of the, the the genesis of what Trials effectively would become. Uh, these kind of 2D flash games where you simply could move left and right and they, they were physics-based, involved you um, trying to maneuver over a series of different ramps and trying to not have your uh, player avatar fall off the bike. And so, you know, Trials expands on this and takes it to an absurd degree uh, and and also kind of has, it doesn't have the soundtrack of a, a Tony Hawk's, but it does have that vibe, that kind of jackass extreme sports type vibe to it. And I think that's also part of what probably helped resonate the game towards me. And Jack is, you know, being massive fans of the likes of Tony Hawk's and um, 
uh, SSX. So, you know, I think that plays a part of it as well, but without the, the licensed soundtrack. Um, so the game itself, like if you can imagine, as, as mentioned earlier, it's a, a 2.5D perspective. So you're constantly going from left to right. There's no 3D maneuverability, um, but the, the environments uh, are uh, uh, 3D in in their visuals um so yeah. you know you can see kind of in the background whatever large environment you're in and you can see did you ever play actually uh pandemonium back in the day uh no i don't believe so okay so uh pandemonium is a, a good kind of, what kind of way of thinking about it a lot of those um 2d platformers back in the day for the, the playstation one or the n64 where you're moving left to right but you can you know you are in a, a 3d space and you can see there's like a path off in the distance, but you basically kind of walk around in a big circle to get to it. Um, so, you know, you are getting around a 3D environment, but in, on a 2D plane. And that's kind of how Trials works. Um, but, you know, the, the difficulty is that you have to stay on your bike, basically. Um, and, you know, the, the early portions of the game kind of introduce you to the the... the physics the mechanics uh, and you know uh keep keep it pretty simple so you'll realize that hey use a little bit of momentum that helps you to kind of get over ramps um as you get further you realize you can use a lot more momentum to get yourself maybe like up a ramp and then you can also tilt the bike forward and you can see the the avatar the character is is literally moving back and forth and you use that momentum to help you get over ramps that uh maybe you know you're kind of going up vertical and then if you can be flash about it you can try and do like a backwards flip and then land uh on the platform to move forward um and you know that it depends on kind of what's the most time effective the most cost effective um and as you play the levels over and over and over again because most of the levels are usually only anywhere between 30 seconds to to a couple of minutes um although like I remember one of the, the the later levels is like 10 minutes long and it's fucking psychotic trying to do that. Um, and, you know, you want to try and get to the end of the level with no crashes um, and the best time possible. Because obviously the more crashes you have, that affects your time. Um, and even if you have one crash, uh, I think if I remember correctly, even if you have like one crash, but your time is better than someone who has no crashes, their time is obviously going to be better. I might don't, entirely quote me on that but i think that's the way it was so you know you've got two things there you're trying to beat uh, a course as quickly as possible and you're trying to do it without crashing um which the way i think about it um kind of like a, a super meat boy or a rayman or you know those short bite-sized type levels where you do it all the best example actually because you you've seen it firsthand with me doing it is cuphead where you do something over and over and over again until you get into like a zen-like trance where it, everything is quiet around you. You can't hear it. Well, I could hear you chuckling as I failed for the 50th time on the fucking pirate, but that, you know, besides that, you, yeah. you, you just lose kind of sense of everything around you and you're just solely focused on this one thing that you're trying to do. You're in the zone. You are very much in the zone. And... And, and Trials was a perfect example of that kind of thing. And because it it nails level design and the physics so well, 
uh, I, you know, I just, I loved spending hours upon hours on just the same goddamn track, just trying to kind of just chip away at my best score because it, it's a very addictive type game. Um, and, you know, the, that sense of uh, that reward that you get for beating even your own time, let alone someone else's, uh, was, was truly satisfying. And the, you know, going to the leaderboard and you could either have the global leaderboard or you could go to the leaderboard that was you and all of your friends. Um, so I had, you know, maybe 20 friends on Xbox Live and, and eight of them, nine of them would have had trials. And, you know, you had a couple of people that were just like, yeah, sure, you know, I like this game, but I'm not going to spend too much time. And there was about four or five of us that, you know, for a good while uh, until it kind of got embarrassing were just chipping away. And, you know, it's one of those things where... Uh, you do like the first track of the game uh, and it takes you like 50 seconds and you're like, well, I'm never going to get this, you know, down. And then, you know, in a month's time, you realize you're down to like 28 seconds and you're just like thinking, how can I do this ramp at this angle where it's going to shave off like a third of a second? And, you know, I'm no speed runner, but that was the game that got me the closest to kind of thinking like a speed runner, you know, like those kind of fractions of seconds that you know overall will add or take away only like half a second off your time but you know that's half a second that you were using somewhere before that you realized hey i can actually lose this time um and yeah just super super addictive in that way um and obviously with all of that and, and what I've said before and what makes this a very Mark Robinson game is, you know, uh, certainly towards the end of the game, the the challenges that you're asked to do and the obstacles that you're asked to, to overcome uh, and to try and do without crashing throughout this kind of four minute course, uh, it, it asks a lot of you and it definitely requires you to fully understand uh, the physics and how to move the the bike and the character on the bike uh, to get the most and to you know overcome certain ledges which just look utterly impossible at first glance until you realise that you know twenty seconds beforehand you've got say seven ramps that lead up to this particular uh, obstacle that you need to get over and you realise okay I need to kind of land the first ramp jump over the next two, land in the fourth one, and then from there, that's the ramp that I need to go up to get me over this particular obstacle. And, you know, you you realize then from there, okay, well, before that, I have to do this particular part of the course in a way. Um, and, you know, you just get to a point where you might get to that part of the course and you realize I've landed in the second uh, ramp and I know that I'm not going to be able to get over this part of the course now, so I'm just going to start again. Um and yeah just a lot of of repetition on on even just particular parts of the course to just kind of find like the exact way like a a formula one driver or a, a, a rally car driver you know tries to find the best line for a course it's that kind of mentality um to talk about the actual kind of game itself and its development um as mentioned the game is based on you know popular flash games uh, of the series itself, actually, um, 
Trials HD uh, using uh, an in-house engine uh, coupled with a modified version of Bullet Physics Library uh, was optimized to utilize the 360's CPU and vector units. Um, and Red Links, you know, they applied the physics system to give a realistic feel. Uh, now, it does have a realistic feel to some degree, but it's still completely, you know, the character goes into ragdoll physics every time that they crash. Uh, so it's it's has elements of realism, but it's still completely kind of cartoonish uh, in in uh, kind of the Arthur effects, I guess, when you you, you crash. Um, you know, and this game then, you know, with Trials 2 and onwards, they would uh, improve on certain aspects of the, the, the visuals uh, and that kind of thing. Um, there was also an in-game editor that uh, you could actually create and share levels uh, with people. Uh, so I had a lot of fun with that uh, and was uh, a lot more expansive than something that you may have seen in like a um, Tony Hawk's, you know, you know. With Tony Hawk's, a lot of the levels that you could make were certainly nothing like what you could actually do in-game uh, that the developers could do. Where with Trials, that wasn't quite the case. Kind of like, did you ever play uh, Little Big Planet? Yes. Yes, yeah, so Little Big Planet. A lot All of the, the levels, whimsy. Yeah, well, yeah. A lot of the levels that you could make in Little Big Planet were levels that could have actually been in the game itself. You know, it's certainly like the developers took a lot of the tools that actually were available and just went, here, you know, make what you want. Uh, which is kind of similar with, with Trials HD as well. So I had a lot of fun just fucking around with, uh, you know, different levels that other people had made as well. Because, yeah, just the, the creativity of, um, you know, it's kind of like the modding scene. The cre creativity of people knows no bounds. Uh, the game was received very, very well, um, getting anywhere between, you know, 8 out of 10, 80%, uh, A pluses, that kind of thing. Uh, just an incredible amount of content for what that game is and you know those games at that time on Xbox Live your your Trials, your Super Meat Boys your uh, Binding of Isaacs your Spelunky I definitely would say like Spelunky and Trials in particular you know the, the value of money I got for what I spent on those games outweighs just about anything else I would have played at that time, uh, and I look back on those games with with you know a real fondness. Um, and I I did fall off the series after a while because you know it's you do go back to the well. You know, there's only so many ways you can kind of expand on a, a kind of very specific idea. Um, but hey, you know, I I. I find very, very few flaws that I can point to when I look at Trials. Um, you know, some people didn't like the difficulty or the curve of the difficulty, but um, it's weird how some games I just, I like a Dark Souls, I just don't want to deal with. But, you know, with Trials, um, just in that particular type of game, I, I, I relished the, the challenge. Uh, and yeah, I, you know, I guess I'll give you um, my elevator pitch. Yes. Uh, Trials HD is a... An obstacle. <coughs> excuse me. Trials HD is a motocross obstacle type game um, that has uh, an extreme level of difficulty as you get further on. But you know, at that time, if you were part of that scene, um, trying to beat your best friend's scores, uh, it was a hell of a summer and extended to the winter as well. Uh, and it was just a, t a time that I look back on fondly because uh, that was around about the time that you know. 
I started properly getting back into games again because it was a few years before then that I hadn't and, and, and Trials was one of those games that really uh, ignited my, my love for video games uh, again. Excellent. Well, there's one last bit of business to do on the podcast as we do every week and that's to... Uh point at the game we're going to be doing next week on the show in the book club uh, episode 118 and uh, it's my turn to go mark and i'm doing something a little bit different next week um what year is it i'm going to take us to i'm going to take us to 2011 uh no excuse me um da, 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 da. Yeah, no, yeah, 2011 um i'm taking us to 2011 i'm going to talk about a game that not only sneers at the fourth wall not only destroys the fourth wall mark but urinates upon the concept of a fourth wall uh next week on the show we're going to talk about a game called the stanley parable Ooh, cool yeah so that's episode 118 of link to the cast the stanley parable coming up and into your ears next week that is going to do it for another episode of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search Link to the Cast. Subscribe there, rate, review, tell a friend. It all helps us. Uh, linktothecast.eu is the website. If you want to get in touch, the email address is linktothecast at gmail.com. Social media, the most reliable way to keep up to date on our content and to hear back from us in timely fashion. Facebook.com forward slash linktothecast and at linktothecast on Twitter. Individually on the tweet machine, I'm at Dave Ryan IV. Mark is at Lithium Project. And if games aren't your only interest, we may have the podcast for you. Available this week should be our World Cup wrap-up podcasts. We also had a preview for the tournament in which we made many predictions, none of which came true. Uh, but in addition to that special edition, we have the wrap-up, which is our Once Every Few Months Pro Wrestling podcast, of which one will have to be done in the run-up to SummerSlam um, that I am kind of working on the details of at the moment. Uh, more on that in the coming weeks. Uh, and the Popcorn Social, uh, which is a monthly or so when we're when on our game, uh, deep dive into the latest cinema offerings with myself and Jack, uh, plus one offering from each of us on every show from our own personal list of favourite movies. There should be one of those dropping within the next week or so. We were planning to do one when jack was here but we were short on time um but there's a couple of episodes already in the can up on the podcast feed so you can check those out and see if that's your kind of thing ahead of the next episode which should be with you soon these podcasts plus our weekly link to the cast flagship podcast which you are listening to right now are all available on the same podcast feed so one subscription to link to the cast on your favorite podcast platform will do the trick and of course if there are any episodes any games that we might have covered on previous episodes the full archive is there for you you to uh, peep out we have had some incredible games in the past all the way from doom to vin diesel's wheelman um and everything in between uh for another episode of link to the cast i've been dave ryan the man on the line here has been mark robinson and we shall talk to you all next week ta-ta